Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. But what ICAC will have is a greater grip on listed company to the coming years. In particular, the stock exchange now is going through a review of its Environment Social Governance Reporting Guide, Appendix 27. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and GRC Professional Online. And today we have Dr. Angus Young from Hong Kong Baptist University. Hi, Angus. Hello. Uh, so today we're going to be looking a little bit at the impact of ICAC in Hong Kong, you know, and how they're driving, you know, regulatory developments and their powers, you know, I guess, compared to some of the other powers, the other regulators in that Hong Kong space. So I guess we could really just start with the beginning. Um, in a previous conversation, you sort of mentioned that, you know, ICAC is really seems to be like the big power regulator at the moment. Can you tell me a little bit about what they've been doing? Yes, um, they have always been uh, Hong Kong's key regulator since the 70s, because culturally, uh, Hong Kong uh, had a major shift when there was a huge complaint on the police. And then in the 70s, ICAC was set up uh, to clean up uh, bribery and corruption in Hong Kong. That has become the pride of Hong Kong since the 70s. So Hong Kong pride itself as one of the world's lowest uh, corrupt city. Uh, it's a major financial hub, so it's linked to the reputation. And it's also linked to the identity because now, uh, from a sociological perspective, this is ingrained into Hong Kong's uh, major culture across the world as in low corruption. Now, the regulator uh, is mainly regulated or has the power for corruption. But what very little people uh, pay attention is that they also have jurisdiction towards fraud. And that has given uh, the regulator quite a bit of power. And recently, uh, I tracked through many cases uh, from uh, the High Court onwards, and of course the appeals, that we find that many cases concerning corporate governance indirectly or directly, uh, the action is taken up by ICAC under um, fraud ordinance, which is, um, sorry, uh, so fraud under theft ordinance, section 16A, uh, which talks about fraud, and also a common law action, which is conspiracy to defraud. And that, in fact, the conspiracy to defraud seems to be the bulk of the action that relates to directors and governance issues in Hong Kong. Okay. Um, and, and I know you said this is something that people don't pay a lot of attention to, but do you get a sense that maybe industry in Hong Kong is sort of wising up to that fact? Yes. Uh, the, the, good, the industry is always uh, anything or any group of people when they hear ICAC uh, automatically do pay attention and they know the seriousness of it. So these are investigators that... Um, have actually quite a bit of power and in fact they're even highly more regarded than the Hong Kong police because uh, their level of enforcement and successful enforcement is very, very high and they uh, recruit uh, elite, uh, what some of the best, they recruit graduates and they train them in the teams and so ICAC investigators are highly thought of uh, not only professionally but also social status is very high among all the regulators in Hong Kong so because they are independent and they are not uh, themselves they have a squeaky clean image to some extent apart from a few uh, a couple of years back a slight little tarnish but that has not dented ICAC so uh, but in general, most business feel that it's remote 
or the possibilities of ICAC knocking on your doors is remote if they feel that they're not corrupt or they haven't bribed an official. Uh, but the uh, fraud ordinance, uh, the, the theft ordinance, conspiracy defraud, and also uh, ICAC have under its sleeve something that is quite surprising for some people and nobody pay attention or very few people pay attention is that uh, they also include corruptions in the private sector between private individuals or between business and business is covered under Section 9 of Prevention of Bribery Ordinance that looks at uh, bribery or uh, related issue as an agent. So it doesn't necessarily need to involve a government official, which also uh, very few people pay attention to. Right. So ICAC is a regulator. Um, you know, one of the things that is an evolving conversation in Australia at the moment um, is definitely that regulatory engagement piece and how much information the regulator is giving industry or helping industry in terms of um, complying with regulation. So what? how does ICAC communicate with the industry? Is there a sense that ICAC is speaking to industries and letting them know what they expect and what oh, they're yes. looking for? Yeah? Oh, yes. They, yes, they have an extensive public relations training exercise. So they can start with uh, as uh, secondary schools, high schools, Universities, they come to, they'll request the universities for the bachelor and masters to speak to classes uh, that relate. So I, I teach one of the course called Financial Regulation and Compliance, in which uh, financial crime is covered under there. So ICAC requested that whether they could make a presentation to my students, which I assess obviously uh, most happy to have them. And so they did that uh, a couple of months ago last year uh, to one of my class. Uh, actually, it's this year, sorry, a couple of months ago. So what they do is they talk about ethics and they talk about instances when uh, problems of corruption in the private sector could occur. And for us, that would be under director's duty, which is fiduciary duties. So they talk substantially under fiduciary duties, not just at the board level, but also between uh, customers and agents and agents and uh, who represent the company towards, you know, the, the broader society, including supplies and so forth. So they do talk quite substantially into conflict of interest uh, kickbacks as uh, commission kickbacks, because that uh, is also a problem area. Uh, and so um, these area have a lot of attention and when they depends on the uh, crowd they address if it's for high school they'll talk about corruption in general and for businesses what they do is that you go through the various commerce association or chambers of commerce there's the chinese one there's the hong kong one so there are many uh, of these that they go to which then they present uh, to these uh, various professional bodies and commercial bodies and chambers of commerce about the importance of ethics so they, they have program called ethics awareness and so forth but they're very broad so they're thinking they're hoping that if companies go through very ethical principles they wouldn't even come close to breaching the ordinance instead of giving them technical uh, you know information or education on the ordinance they cover it very broadly through education and ethics so they actually have a center of ethics within icac that promotes these things uh, to the public especially in the business sector. Right, excellent. Um, so, of course, we, we've spoken about that regulatory engagement piece. Now, an interesting thing that came out of the recent Refinitiv um, Australia, Australian Regulatory Summit was that there was this call, and, and we've done it from the GRCA's perspective as well, is this call for professional standards and for the compliance professional and a call for, like, solid educational backing. 
Um, I'm in the past, and I bring that up because in the past you, you have spoken about, I guess, the the challenge of standards and training in compliance in the Hong Kong context. Does the communication from ICAC have any impact on organizations' approach to compliance and, I guess, on the, the standards, uh, levels of education, and what is to be expected? Okay. Uh, the problem of compliance in Hong Kong at the moment is that compliance officers in general, and this is just a general observation and it varies from companies to companies, uh, some of them are reduced very much to an administrative capacity. And most of the compliance is done uh, in Hong Kong about AML because this is where the enforcement seems to be the highest. Uh, the regulators of SFC and HKMA keep pressing this onto financial services firms, including banks uh, and, and investment advisors. So they do quite substantial amount of work in there. But however, what is fall short is that uh, the compliance officers are not themselves given empowered to actually do real compliance. This is where the monitoring begins, not just the training. So compliance officers tend to only do two things in Hong Kong. So one is very prestigious, setting up policies on compliance, and then we'll have, the next would be, they'll have some general training to, to general staff at different levels about certain areas of law that they should, but the, the training is done in so basic terms and so general terms that um, it's just an awareness. Of course, some bigger multinationals would have very strict compliance and have uh, much more sophisticated training and they would actually have specific areas of, okay, this is what you cannot do and what you can do. But the quality varies from companies to companies. And it's also the board doesn't take compliance to what I know that seriously. So compliance is still, uh, you know, very low priority uh, for, for many companies, which especially non-financial services company financial services company does put it higher but they do sometimes outsource this to uh, compliance firms which you know will do the training on their behalf will do the paperwork of the policies would write you know the company policies would write uh, the renewal and give the annual trainings to some of the sensitive stuff so they do contract it out so the contract out has an advantage just that you get very professional people telling the negative side is that each company is different. So sometimes the, the consultants can't really cater to the minute details because they are not there every day. They can only see it from a third party's point of view. So the internal compliance officer actually is the one on the ground seeing the action every day. And so they, not, they tend not to have a high say. And most of the concern uh, doesn't reach to the board. Uh, from what I gather from my informal conversations with many compliance professionals in Hong Kong. Right, excellent. So we started this conversation talking about ICAC as a sort of this regulatory power. So I guess what I'm interested to know is what will the future look like as a result of the work that ICAC has been doing from a, a PR perspective as well as from a, a regulatory perspective? will still remain as the primary governance uh, regulator despite SFC so because SFC in part is that they don't have the, the criminal jurisdictions uh, that SFC has is very weak uh, they would have to refer the case to the Department of Public Prosecutions with the DPP uh, so and they while they have a, a huge team and they've got a, a teams of very educated and trained individuals 
but they tend to work on the civil side and they turn to work on uh, more of the financial services in terms of uh, the licensing requirements. So SFC has more control of the corporate governance from a licensing perspective and particularly for financial services companies that are licensed under them. Generally, they're not that strong. Uh, and then the, the, the ground level, which is the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, which actually regulates over directors, uh, they have also been more active in enforcing, especially directors' duties, making uh, reprimanding directors all the way with disqualification. But the problem is that it usually happens too late when a director ignores uh, the stock exchange uh, repeatedly and not do what the stock exchange wants. And it'll take months and months and months until the person uh, in particular may have already left the company and then the stock exchange then disqualified this person from serving in a listed company but doesn't disqualify a person to run a company that's not listed. So if you look at the this top, uh, uh, groups of, of regulators, ICAC remains top. But what ICAC will have is a greater grip on listed company to the coming years. In particular, the stock exchange now is going through a review of its Environment Social Governance Reporting Guide, Appendix 27. Now, Appendix 27 is includes environment and social as in the CSR type of explain or comply a set of rules. Mm. Now, they ask the company, if you comply, you then say all things. So the environmental side is very much prescriptive. It actually has measurements of how you measure uh, pollution, how you measure pollution, air, water, and so forth. They actually have a very uh, clear guide. The social side is weaker, but however, last month, the Stock Exchange just uh, launched a consultation of uh, reviewing the ESG reporting guide, thinking it's weak because uh, the year before, the uh, Stock Exchange did say that most companies in Hong Kong did a really bad job at ESG reporting. It's just basically, uh, we have this, we have this, we've done this, we have not broken the law, uh, we have a policy on this, that's it. So, and then the companies will tend to focus on some pilot schemes or some specific case study that the company feels they've done very well in which may not represent the entire operation. So it's a bit of skewed representation in terms of your ESG reporting guides. So the Stock Exchange have launched a site that which revamped it. On the particular section on social governance, it has something on corruption. Mm. I was told informally that this section on corruption was requested by ICAC and therefore inserted into the ESG reporting guide 27 when it uh, first came about two, three years ago. So this section now, the review has asked that whether directors should be formally trained or receive formal training in anti-corruption measures and, and corruption issues. Now, the corruption there under ESG is very broad. They include fraud, uh, corruption, general corruption, embezzlement mm. uh, is one of the issues uh, and, and of course extortion I think oh, yeah, extortion I recall extortion is there so this anti-corruption will include very broad areas of financial crimes right? which therefore also you can think AML is there too but unfortunately it's a trickle down effect because it's only as a ESG guide under corporate governance which is, is corporate governance is section 14 and ESG is 27. Even though they are linked together, I've written about that in several articles, they are linked together to demonstrate directors have done their duties. 
but uh, I think the enforcement is still weak. Right. So, but the, the side is that once the ESG diet is done badly, and very much of ICAC how they work is that there's a whistleblower or somebody goes up to the desk or send email to ICAC and lodge a complaint. So very much of the ICAC work on corporate government side via fraud is done through a complaint. So if somebody lodge a complaint, investigations carried out. So unless that complaint comes in, uh, sometimes unless there are certain issues that reach the media's front page and the evidence was just all over the place that ICAC could easily pick it up and then launch a formal investigation. Otherwise, it's still very much if the company have kept things quiet and low-key and nobody's made a complaint and they seem to make a reasonable profit and nobody's you know upset, nobody could see whether the company's governance is done well. Nobody could see uh, how well the uh, compliance is done. I mean, compared to the UK, which actually in the UK, uh, some of the laws, some of the laws of financial service require the professionals to receive, compliance professionals to receive CPDs on compliance. There's none formally in Hong Kong because the area of compliance uh, associations is fragmented. There is one small local one which not many people pay attention. There are a few international ones from the US. Obviously, that's GRC there as well, but only uh, to mainly the the few people that we know. So it's still very fragmented in Hong Kong. And compliance officers tend not to be given much responsibility in terms of really enforcing because to be an effective compliance officer you really have to go into the operations sit there stand there observe and then says this is wrong call the manager and says tell your staff don't do that otherwise that staff no longer works here so unless it gets to that micro level uh, compliance officers in hong kong will still find a problem of trying to really do their job well all right. Well, thank you very much, Angus. I think we've come to the end of this podcast. Um, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. I think we would like to probably expand a little bit on that conversation about the ESG, um, maybe on, at a later date. Yes, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, and it's always a pleasure to speak to the members at GRC. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute and the original music was written by Rob Neary.